<sighs> Man, really good day coming. Today's guest I thought would be a nice refreshing opportunity for my audience to meet a young man who's doing some really great things and it's just generally super pleasant to talk to and be around. I'm talking about one Mr. Justin Hager. Justin is a personal trainer, he's an optimized coach in training, as uh, an online trainer's academy student, and uh, is considers himself an entry-level wellness professional. He's new at social media, uh, he loves playing with movements, and his current training focus is dance, uh, acrobatics, floor aerials, and acro yoga. He's just a real interesting guy, and I think you guys really enjoy uh, our conversation on social authenticity, especially, and Justin's really big on that. And so, and, and with the struggle with that, and how you present yourself in social media in a way that honors yourself, your true self. So, without further ado, I'm excited to introduce to you Justin Hager. All right, we're live, Justin. Cool. I'm excited, Jarian. Well, you know, I thought about just like our last talk that we had, and uh, I said, man, this this guy's an interesting guy, Justin. <laughs> a very thoughtful young guy. I don't know if I meet a lot of thoughtful young people all the time, um, but especially a man. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> okay, well, that's that's, a, that's interesting. I, I, I think that I'm um, in the... Um, was it? I don't know. Maybe like the the twenty percent of guys that are more people oriented, you know, uh, than most people, than most men, let's say. Well, so I maybe didn't know. maybe that's something to it. There's something you know. It's a good way to start this. So, um, a long time ago, I had a post on LinkedIn. It was about vulnerability, and but it was from from the perspective of um, male vulnerability. And had a lot of guys contact me and go, man, you know, this is a tough thing for me, for me to be vulnerable, mm -hmm. and open with my feelings and stuff. So tell me a little bit about your thoughts related to that. Oh, all right. Excellent. Yeah. Um, I, um, <laughs> I was not this um, like emotionally in tune, um, say like growing up until like about 10 years ago. And the most emotional intelligence that I had was about like four words, like happy sad angry i don't even remember what the what the other one was um but it uh it, it's taken a lot of um suffering and um personal development to expand that vocabulary and i would say some influential works for me has been um nonviolent communication by marshall rosenberg and that is that's where i got actually a list of different emotional words and it's like wow wow it's so much more nuanced than than what i had thought of um, and then just, uh, Brene Brown's Daring Greatly. Yes. And um, what was it? Uh, Self-Compassion Step-by-Step by Kristen Neff. So those, those have been pretty big and kind of unlocking, as well as uh, some, some works by Pema Chodron, like Buddhist um, philosophy, and I guess like my time in the, uh, the yoga uh, realm and my explorations in that. But... Um, yeah. Well, tell me a little bit about, you know, you said the suffering. Tell me, explain that a little bit more. Okay. Um, well, for a long time, I just felt like I was just kind of the, um, uh, 
that I, I, I would just react and that I didn't have much control over my reactions, uh, particularly anger was the, the way that, that I reacted. And it, it, it just ne it never turned out well. Um, not for me, not for the people I cared about. I always felt bad and kind of like ashamed of it afterwards, but it was, you know, just, just felt like I, I didn't have control over that. Um, and one of my friends at the time introduced me to um, Don't Bite the Hook by Pema Chodron, which, um, the, so that, that was after like a, a, a very important breakup that I had um, that just like ended badly because of like my behavior. And so that was super painful to me. And it just happened to be at the same time where I had, um, uh, like I was recovering from getting all my wisdom teeth removed. So I was in a lot of physical pain because I, re I refused to take the, uh, the pills that they gave me. Because uh -huh. I, felt, I felt stupid when I took them. Um, and then there was also this existential uh, crisis that I was um, having at the same time. So it was this trifecta of emotional pain, physical pain, and existential pain as far as, um, you know, like, what, what is the purpose of existence? What am I here for? And am I really just going to, like, live my life in, like, a cubicle and just, you know, hate existence? Um, so, like, those things really was um, a, uh, a springboard to get me to, to search out, like, alternative ways of being and viewing the world and just, you know, what, trying to see what is actually under my influence and what changes I could make with that. Wow, man. I thought you, you took it there. That was awesome. <laughs> the existential crisis, I think, is, uh, is interesting to me. I think on some level, you know, we're all kind of suffering on, on some level with who we are and what we're here to do and, mm -hmm. and how we live our daily lives and stuff. And I think for young people especially, it's, it can be very trying, you know, growing up in the world and who you're trying to become. Yeah, and not, and not having a vision of like who I was trying to become was extremely painful, right? Like not having a clear idea of like where I was going. I mean, for a long, for a long time, um, it, you know, like I believed that I was only going to live to be about 25. It was just like a, an intuitive mm -hmm. sort of like feeling. I've later, after listening to some podcasts by Jocko Willenink, um, have come to the understanding that that's kind of that perhaps that's a shared humanity thing with uh, men in particular that um, we tend to believe that we're going to die young and so we're a bit more reckless and impulsive earlier on. I don't know if that was your experience, but that was for sure mine. No, no, never. Uh, I never had that experience. Um, actually, it's the first I'm hearing of something like this. But uh, I think for me, I I don't know. I never thought about well, this is you know at this point, you know, this uh, my die during this time. That's uh, just been more of a cycle for me of um, I call it like lifetimes within lifetimes. I've uh, mm -hmm. said this to many of my friends throughout the years. I'm like, you know, I think there's as you grow and you get older, you're almost living a completely separate life from the life you used to live when you were a child, mm -hmm. when you're a teenager, when you're, you know, going to college and stuff. Then as you grow older in your thirties and forties, it's almost like you can't even remember it. It was a separate life mm -hmm. for that. So I, I, I feel like I exist so much in a lot of that and the former me versus the current me, future me, you know, is, is me, but how will I continue to grow into that person, you know? 
Yeah, I, I can connect with that. Um, I, it kind of feels like about every two to three years, I have a kind of like a paradigm shift or a shedding of skin of some sort, mm. where it just feels like that there's a new um, collection of personalities that become dominant to some degree, or you know, there's there's a continual like refining and burning away of like sub personalities that tend not to serve us. Um, yeah. You know, as as we as we go on, but, that's uh, interesting. The sub sub personalities that don't serve us. See, that's why I like. I wanted to have you on. I knew you would talk about some things. I'm not talking about <laughs> people. Sub personalities that don't serve us. For them. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's 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 the realm of which I like to inhabit, man. It's uh, it's a lot more interesting. Um. But yeah, it kind of connects. It connects back with that. I I guess like that that sense of not knowing um, where I was going earlier on, which I'm getting the impression is is pretty common amongst guys from um, from what I've been um, exposed to in different lectures and then also in um, my personal experience. But that. It, it seems to be, and particularly in my case, it seems to be, it leads to like a form of nihilism uh, yes. and some like downward spirals that can occur with that. But um, it's been, say in these past like three to four years, um, I've really got a, a much clearer vision of where I'm going. And that's kind of, that's how I got to where I am now, at least in this, this field of um, wellness and fitness. Um, from doing that soul searching of like moving through that pain and um, just being like what like what's what's my what's my purpose what am I doing here or like what oh yeah there's was it the hedgehog concept you know trying to find the nexus point of what are we good at um, and could be really good at and then what do we like doing and then what is the world willing to pay for so like Trying to find, you know, the nexus in that, I guess that would be a Venn diagram, has been um, a helpful practice for me to be where I am and to be, you know, I don't know. Yeah, we're talking about nexus points and stuff, <laughs> hedgehog concepts. <laughs> Justin, I, I knew it, man. I knew it. I knew some interesting stuff was going to come out. But I wanted to backtrack before we get okay. back to that is, you know, talking about with men and... Uh, struggling to be where you think you're supposed to be or you don't have a vision yeah how are how are we supposed to be because i think that for guys there's always been kind of this preconceived notion of we're supposed to act a certain way be a certain way this kind of whole strong guy thing Mm -hmm. or uh, this aggressive nature of of a man thing and what do you think about that i mean at its roots related to that. Cause I think there's, you're kind of socializing to try to be a certain, like as a man, to be a man's man, be a man type of thing, you know? Sure. And you know, there's, there's, um, there's an influence with, uh, the, the social context, but I mean, there's, there's also, um, a variety of personality traits and where we, where each individual's unique combination of, personality, I guess, like distribution, you know, like of, like the big five is a, the common model. Um, and so I think that that kind of influences where, where we're going to end up. I am, I, I, I am not in support of the idea that is, it is completely socially constructed 
um, that seems to be too simplistic and naive and just overlooking too many things. Um, not to say that that's what you were intending to ask, but just to go ahead and get that out there. Um, and um, I don't know. It's, I'm, what comes to mind is in uh, being authentic to oneself, um, but without being, what would you say, um, inflammatory to make a point, right? It's like, <laughs> um, just thinking about to like my younger years, how I was very rebellious against um, uh, my perception of uh, society's expectations of how I was supposed to behave. And this, right. was, this was growing up in like Georgia um, for a time yeah. and yeah. Um, Tennessee, uh, and just being in, in the Bible Belt and I don't know, there, there's just certain expectations about behavior that I did not um, agree with, particularly about acting in a particular way despite um, your actual beliefs. So I, don't know, I, I, I value authenticity. Um, and uh, I don't know, I, I think I might have got derailed from your question. Perhaps you could okay, help bring me back in. <laughs> I will definitely really bring you back in. All right. Uh, I think it was just, you know, about uh, male behavior. And like I think you were saying about, you know, you're not believing in just it's it's a whole social construct behind it mm-hmm. for that. Again, I was talking about has as boys become men and are you know often expected to become almost warrior like, you know, very tough, very um, workaholic like. Um, not mm. emotionally driven, don't talk about your feelings type of thing. Do you think that that is changing in our society or is that still a very strong held belief or way of, of thinking? Man, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I, all I have is a personal experience on that and no, no poll information or uh, <laughs> you know, data on that. Um, um, I've, I've noticed a, a difference depending on where I live, you know, okay. from living in like the south compared to living out here so i'm in portland oregon now um and just that's a big difference as far as um the the acceptance of um like vulnerability um mm-hmm. but i it didn't it didn't necessarily well i was gonna say it didn't necessarily stop me from being um kind of like open about how i felt um, when i lived in tennessee but i'm like well no i was probably like 70 percent open you know, uh, there was, you know, for, for sure times where I didn't want to be in, in full disclosure of just yeah. um, felt pretty, pretty uncomfortable there. But, um, I don't know. Yeah, it's, um, it, I, I see. Okay. So you're talking about like culturally, socially, what's going on now. I see a large increase in um, a call to responsibility and um, like this return to I don't know, I guess, yeah, a return to responsibility, particularly aimed at men, and that there's a sense of meaning to be found in this return to responsibility. Now, I I don't see it being pushed in a particular way, such as becoming a warrior. Now, there are people that are already gravitating towards that, and then there are people that gravitate more towards, like, the counselor. Um, So I, I don't, personally, I don't feel like I am being push to be in one way or another, um, you know, though there are some traditional expectations um, that right. long withstanding for thousands of years, such as, you know, like the man provides for the family, right? Like that's 
that's still something that I value to be a provider. And that just seems like um, it is biologically ingrained. Now, is there variation with that? Of course, there's variation within anything. But is it um, the predominant uh, disposition? Uh, it seems to me that that's the case. And is that socially constructed? I don't think so. Um, does that hit more on what you were getting yeah, at? Yeah, no, that's great. Um, yeah, I guess I'm fascinated. You know, what's funny for me, I, if you look at my podcast and all the people I interview, it's predominantly women. And mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm waiting for somebody to call me out on it and then go, all these women, no guys, you know, it's just, and it's just that um, I haven't had the perspective, the male perspective often because I tend to, I'm not doing it on purpose. I just yeah. meet a lot of uh, female health and wellness professionals and mm -hmm. often they're much more open to speaking and chatting mm -hmm. and wanting to be more open-minded and discussing things and having conversations. And, mm -hmm. not, and, and I, this just doesn't happen as often with men. I would love to have more men on the show and there's, um, but also, even though I, I know a lot of guys, I just, I wouldn't say all of them would be great to be on the show. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah, there's a level of the show that I need. The point of the show for me is that there's, is, it's a very open and honest communication about very raw feelings. Yeah. And, and how you exist in the world and, and being just very raw about that. And that's not often the case, the case of a lot of guys. I, may, that may come off sounding... Uh, bad. That's just not what I've run into. There may be that element and that variation. I'm just not running into it regularly. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that that's probably um, statistically supported, right? I mean, one, just being in the, the health field is predominantly a, a female populated field anyway. And then being people oriented is, um, you know, more on the side of, uh, of females as well, as far as the personality um, predisposition is concerned. And I like that you're not contriving to force it to be, you know, like a certain way that you're not trying to um, uh, make a certain um, outcome of it. And that you're just, you know, that you're just viewing it as people, which I, I value that. I appreciate that. Thanks. You know, yeah, yeah. I love what you're doing. Thank uh, you. Yeah. And you've, you've totally changed my, um, my perception of, of networking and have been a catalyst and I guess like my like opening up to this so I, I really appreciate what you're doing thank you Justin so well tell me a little bit about what your thoughts were about it before and what they are now in terms of networking okay like prior I I was just I don't know I guess I was like pretty intimidated to to, to talk to somebody that I hadn't actually encountered before and I know that um, as far as our relationship goes, I originally got a, a LinkedIn message from you, just like wanting to connect. And you know, like I'm I'm new to to want, I'm new to social media. I'm new to to LinkedIn, to all this stuff. I've intentionally avoided it for years, just because I didn't want to get the hooks in me. Um, <laughs> yeah, they're in me now. And now I gotta figure <laughs> out how to how to deal with that. Yes. But um, yeah. So you know, I got the message from you, and what I'm used to getting messages from people I don't know is more of just like, "Hey, do you want my services?" Or I'm like a Russian spam bot or something, <laughs> right? Um, so uh, it wasn't until I actually had a interaction with a human in real life, um, Dr. Charles Ware, at a behavior change workshop, that 
he um, referred me to you. I was like, hey, that guy sent me a LinkedIn. Like, okay, <laughs> he's got to be legit. Right. Um, yeah, so since, since we've talked and you've connected me uh, with a few other people and I've had uh, five or six conversations with others, since that, I'm so much more open to connecting people in all my social media and I actually try to have conversations with people now. Um, I'm part of another um, behind a paywall um, social media platform on it's uh, the optimized oasis on optimize.me so it's um, for coaches that want to apply psychology and philosophy to try and um, facilitate human flourishing anyway so on that I just just today um, through some pre-planning reached out to 14 of the other coaches to have conversations um, record them and just kind of do what you're doing which is, is not something that I could have imagined myself doing even three years ago, um, so let alone even a few months ago. So it's, it's really changed. I don't know, it, it just feels more like a place to, to connect and then springboard actual human conversations from, which I really value. It's, it's so, you've, you've helped me see that it could be used meaningfully rather than expediently, mm. trying to like, derive a certain outcome but instead of just so instead now it's just like having that human connection right which is so needed and so desirable um i think i'm rambling no no that's good. <laughs> I, I love it i love it we'll use all of it i promise you you know i you know, justin i think one of the things that really after we we talked and I, you know, I'm a big reflective person. I talk to somebody and I reflect about our conversation. I actually really think about it. I don't go, oh, hang up, hey, thanks for that, and then whatever. Like it's like I think about it. I sit and I think about it, and I go, how did that make me feel talking to this person? And do I want more of this person in my life? And I have totally used social media as a way to have social uh, meaningfulness on the online platform. Mm. And I think uh, the concept of, and we talked about before, this kind of social authenticity mm -hmm. is at the center, I think, of both of ours, our usage of social media. And I think it's very difficult because for me, I'm, I'm always trying to, to understand the authentic person and I'm not gonna down um, social media like this terrible thing. I think it has many great qualities, but I think, like you said, a lot of people, I, I, I think they're, what's the outcome? How could I sell something? How can I do this? And I think it's too outcome focused instead of just relationship focused. Mm -hmm. And you can create tremendously strong, lasting, meaningful, vulnerable relationships through the use of social media. You just have to come at it a different way to do it. I would love to hear your, your system or your approach or your recommendations of how to do so, of how to, of how to interact with social media virtuously to create those long lasting um, relationships. I think that would be helpful not only for me, but for anybody that comes across this, this episode. Yes, I'm, I'm happy to do it. And I think that's I think it's the duty to do it. I was just, I just had an interview before this for the podcast and uh, hopefully you listened to it with uh, Vera Ross and we talk a lot about 
you know, being on social media and, and networking and stuff. And for me, my method is, is I try to simplify the method, which is everybody, I try to connect with as many people as possible. Now, some people say, well, you know, that's just, that's a, you're just going for numbers and stuff. I'm like, yeah, kind of, because the, the numbers tell me that if I, if I send out 50 invitations, I'm going to get, I prob I will get a lot of people who will accept it, but I will get very few, like 10% who will actually get back to me when I send them a message. Mm -hmm. So it is somewhat of a numbers game just to be able to get a few people to talk to you. So there is some, you know, mathematical element to it. Like, Hey, I have to have, instead of reaching out to three people, I probably won't get anybody back. But if I reach out to 50 people, I'm going to get three to four people who actually want to have a conversation with me. And then the other thing is to me, it's, it's just basic psychology with people is disarming people. That's one of my biggest methods is how do I disarm somebody so they don't immediately think that I'm selling them something, I'm trying to pull the wool over their eyes, or it's weird, it feels weird or feels salacious or something. So I always send a person a message, a very general message, how you doing, hope you're having a great day, I would love to learn more about you. And my thoughts are usually, what type of person will get back to this? The person who's way too busy, who is caught up in the whirlwind of their life, they may want to get back to me, but they're just, they're so caught up in the busyness of their life that you just, they just, it'll float away in their, the void of their inbox. You know, there'll be this black hole of email and messages that they, they it's not that they don't want to get back to me. It's just that it's just, they don't maybe have a system to get back to me. Mm -hmm. And which I find to be, a large percentage of it. Not that they don't want to talk, it's just that they don't have a system to be able to get back to people. Um, and then, which my rate is pretty high, I end up meeting probably every ten, nine out of the 10 people I talk to are some of the most amazing people I've ever talked to. It's a really high percentage. And I always think the people who get back to me are people who value courtesy, uh, value um, etiquette, and they're curious. They're curious in nature. They they see a message like that and they go, well, that's pretty, pretty nice, you know, and somebody wishes you well, and then they wish me well back. They say, oh, thanks for that connection. It's really great. I, I, I hope you're well, too. And then after that, then I always try to find something interesting that they're into and then send them a message back about whatever they may be interested in. Could be you know, uh, that they're in a sleep research study or they went to this school that I found very interesting at one point in my life, whatever to, it's kind of creating a smaller talk that leads into a larger conceptual talk with them. Mm -hmm. And then I just go for it. I say, hey, do you want to speak on the phone? Nice. I don't like to beat around the bush. Yeah. And, and, and I would tell you, 95% of people are more than willing to speak on the phone with you. I have rarely had somebody go, no, I don't want to do that. It almost never happens with me, ever. Yeah, I imagine once you get to that stage in the process where it's already, you know, this this minority that's responded, and then you have the initial connection, and then the, um, the sort of uh, sharing of a common interest. By the time you get to that stage, it seems, yeah, it seems like pretty likely that they're going to be willing to, like, you know, have a sense of like trust and be like, okay, yeah, let's explore this a little more. Yeah. Yeah, I think the other thing is what you're on the phone with somebody is to be socially authentic. 
is mm-hmm. to say, this is who I am. I'm not even giving you an elevator pitch. This is me. And I want you to know from day one, this is who I am. You will never find out something different about me. This is who I am. And I think that's critical because it's easy to find out about people now with social media and looking people up and, you know, well, this person's a little different than I thought they were, you know, mm-hmm. I'm coming to the person as that. And then I think the next point is the follow-up. The follow-up is critical that you have a touch point with a person over a span of time. It's not just a, I talk to you and it's over type of thing. Um, and the touch points dealing with, there's no return on this, this investment, this, this phone call, this connection is, it is a, it is a line, it is a linear, like non-ending line of communication potentially over time that I'm actually going to support you. I'm actually going to care about you. That's important to me. Um, so I think that part, I think it's just a series of events that you're going through to create this socially authentic online presence because i i like yourself i have struggled mightily to figure out over the years how to be my authentic self online yeah what's um do you have any like key key learnings or like um like takeaways things that were really like game changers for you in in that process of of how to be authentic online i think the biggest takeaway um for me was just to get somebody on the phone because then they could hear my, hear my voice. They could, I think people are very disenfranchised with people online because they don't know who they're actually speaking to. Right. And they're, they're worried. Like, is this person trying to swindle me? Is this actually a person? Is this, because there's a lot of accounts online that are not real. Correct. Right. They're, they're bots or they're, different things that are corporations make up so you're not actually sure if you're speaking with somebody so the game changer for me is always having a conversation once somebody gets on the phone with me and they know i'm a real person it changes their whole outlook on what we're doing with this whole thing i think that has been the biggest thing hmm. what what about what are your thoughts when it comes to when it comes to sharing right like you know there's a there's an expectation to to share when we're using this social media um, and I know, uh, some, uh, some of my colleagues and I are, we, we've got the impression that for us to succeed in our field, that we've got to use Instagram and that we've got, uh, we've got to be posting regularly. And, um, my buddy, uh, Evan Cox and I in particular, uh, have many conversations about, you know, like, like we want to, we do want to share, but we want to share stuff that's going to be interesting or of value, but we're not really sure how to go about that. But we also don't want to use that as um, we don't want to build a mountain. Um, so, like I've just been trying to just be visible and get used to using social media lately, but it's getting to the point where I'm looking at my stuff and I'm just like, I, I don't know. I don't know about this. Like what, boy, <laughs> <laughs> you know, just, should I really be putting this out there? Um, like what, what actually should I be putting out there? I, I don't know. It's uh you know, this for for sure is still the um, still the awkward phase in the learning process. But could you perhaps speak to that? Yes, definitely. You know what's funny? I I feel we're very kindred kindred spirits in that because uh, I have struggled my entire professional career as long as there's been social media available. With I've tried the approach of you know 
posting things on a regular and daily basis. Like I would mm-hmm. say like six years ago, I had every social media you could think about. You know, I had Instagram, I had Facebook, you know, I've always had LinkedIn, I've had it forever. Um, and, and it just didn't feel right to me. Like yeah. I would, you know, then I was part of this like fitfluential group. I don't know if any of them will ever listen to this, but if it did, it felt wrong to me. It just, it, because you, it, it was just too much consumerism to me. So like, basically you were part of this group and they would send you like, if you qualified like free shoes from like a running company or something like that, or a t-shirt to wear from this clothing company. And then you would have to post, like they would say, you have to do like three posts mm, about yeah. this, this week, you know? It was like totally not me, but I was like, well, I'm trying, let me try to do this. I really want to try it, you know? Yeah. And every time I did it, I didn't feel good about myself. And I was getting free shoes and all this stuff. And it was like amazing. And I was like, oh, I'm a runner. You know, I, this is great. I can tell people about it. And every time I'd go out there and like, I'd have my wife take pictures of me running in these shoes and stuff. And I felt terrible every time I did it. And uh, so I actually ended up emailing like the coordinator of the company. I said, I'm done. I'm dropping out of this. She was like, I think she was shocked that. I would drop out of something where I was getting free gear all the time Mm -hmm. and I just had to post stuff. It just didn't feel authentic to me. Yeah. And this was back. This wasn't, this was a long time ago. And after that, I, you know, I was on Facebook and I was like, man, it's just like a gossip dumpster. (laughs) You know, that's all it is. It's just a bunch of trash old people. And then I started thinking, Justin, I really started thinking, why do people care about the pictures I put up of my vacation? I don't even know half these people. Right. <laughs> Why would they care about what I'm doing on vacation? And it was that thought process that led me to delete my Facebook, which was very difficult to do because it's almost impossible to find the delete button for it. I had to Google it and figure out how to get rid of my account, yeah. which I thought was hilarious. Yeah. And Instagram was easier, but I felt immediately better after I did it, like immediately. And I kept my LinkedIn because I never felt that way about it. I always felt very clean. It felt very professional. Mm-hmm. And I always enjoyed it. But I, I just, uh, I always struggled with this constant volume of posting. Because it didn't feel like, you don't always have something to say. Exactly. You, know? <laughs> you don't want to like contrive it, you know, yeah. you don't want to like force it. Because there's, I, I find like, like you had um, touched on, I find value in listening to your conscience, right? Like that's kind of what it's there for. As long as we keep it honed and tuned well, um, it's, there seems to be something to following the wisdom of it. But um, I know, so I've been, I've been looking around at other, other gyms to, to train out of, and it is, it is really common for them to, require um social media use if you're gonna if you're gonna work for them wow yeah i didn't know that actually i you know i've i've as somebody's been in the business a long time i have my own business and stuff i'm not hip to that but i didn't know they were doing that now yeah that's that's the so, so what that's are you asking like you have to post a certain amount of times a week or something um yeah that, that you're actively engaged in social media it's particularly instagram and the expectation is three to five posts a week that you're that you're sharing stuff. So it's like, what what am I supposed to share? You know, like I I'm okay with sharing when I feel inspired to do so. Yes. And 
like there's probably like three of my Instagram posts that I'm that I feel really good about. You know, <laughs> <laughs> just three, man. <laughs> you know, and those were like ones that you know came out of like some sort of like sense of inspiration, and um, it it's kind of like more of if I think about like I'm talking to myself and I want to remind myself of something to to share that. Um, I don't know. It's it's that's that's my big concern, I guess, right now as far as with professional development is figuring out how to share my story and like what story I'm sharing because it seems like that that is a necessity uh, for me to to succeed in this field um, to to be present, to be authentic, to be seen and visible, so that um, I can connect with the right people and to, I guess, you know, like make a living in, in doing what I'm doing. So, um, I don't know. It's, like I said, it's, it's a struggle. Um, and it sounds like you're just, you're just out of the social media game, um, except for LinkedIn, which, which yeah, I agree. It does, it does have a way different feel to it, which um, I, I, I do like the feel of it. Um, it feels, you say, more, more clean, um, crisp, less... No, no. More. The only more thing is, I, I, I'm a commitment person. So, like, if I find something that I really like, I want to be committed to it. I want to marry it for a long time. Hmm. And LinkedIn, I've been on a long time because I felt that it's, it has tried really hard to not be those other things. And now that doesn't mean that there aren't people on there who are putting on weird stuff, but I think it's not as as common as other things. It just just feels more authentic. It does. Like Instagram feels extremely fake to me. It feels like a fake virtual reality world to me. <laughs> and I want no part of that. And uh, it's funny, like when I got off of all my other social media, people were trying to contact me through it. And I'd be like, you have my phone number. Just call me or just text me. And they're so used to doing it, messaging people through these other means. Yeah. That you're forgetting, like, you know, the phone is also a viable way to contact somebody and, and actually much better to understand each person's nuances and, and their inflection and their voice and stuff like that. And I just, so I made a decision. I was like, you know, I'm probably missing out on business and, and not using these other things, but I also don't care. <laughs> and I'm just going to do LinkedIn. And, you know, it's funny, my consulting and management business, we do have an Instagram account and i and i was because we were like you know kind of told oh we need to have this we should have it so i was like okay but i just don't want a personal one i don't want a personal account mm -hmm. we have this business account we we're putting stuff on there and i was kind of in charge of it and i'm doing it and i started getting that same feeling again i was like this is garbage i gotta stop doing it <laughs> and i just let it go i was like yeah I don't know, it looks old pictures and stuff whatever and i'm like i'm going back to my bed bread and butter linkedin posting about relevant trends going on in the fitness business and just connecting one by one with everybody I know because my whole thing also is too is you can't be good at like 10 things you're just not going to be good at 10 things mm -hmm. you're find one thing you're really good you feel strongly about it and make that your thing and what that might become is if you're not willing to be in that those online spaces you probably are going to sacrifice some business but that doesn't mean you're not going to be successful mm. yeah I can I could see like focusing in on say like LinkedIn and having um, another outlet such as like this podcast for conversation right. to 
to to expose that that authenticity and provide a way for people to connect because like i i would much rather have a bunch of cool conversations with people rather than using instagram all the time um, <laughs> like, why do you want to like be on the, twitter like who wants to be on twitter and all the obnoxiousness and terrible uh just horrible things people say about each other and just the, the lack of real authentic communication it's foolish to me like podcasting for me i felt led to it it was like a freight train running through me when i told mm -hmm. my wife i was like i have to do this this is totally synergistic to what i do on linkedin with mm -hmm. you know meeting people it's just conversations and i i still have i've had plenty of conversations this week where Nobody knows what I've said to the people on the phones, but I wanted to bring those phone conversations to life through a podcast for other people. Like, who's going to know you, Justin? Like, just talking to you through a message. Right. They're going to learn so much about you from this, this conversation. Like, it would take them 20 hours at least to learn half of what they're going to listen to in this amount of time. It's just, it would take them years through messaging you to understand what you're, gonna, what you're saying here now. It just makes more sense to me. So mm -hmm. I sacrificed, you know, you know, being a salmon going in the same direction as everybody else. I said, I don't want to be part of this. In fact, I think I think is very toxic. And uh, I need to I need to stick to who I am as a person. And does that mean I'm going to lose out on some things? Hell, yeah, it does. It means I'm going to lose out on it. But I'm OK with that. Yeah, because um, you're you're like following your conscience and yeah. you're doing what what feels right to you, so that you're not, and that seems like you're gaining more in the long run, right? Because if yes. if we're doing those things that make us feel small, then that, that's that's not really being of service to ourselves or to our our like immediate connections or our network. But if we're doing things that are more of a more of a challenge, and everything has a sacrifice to it, right? It's right. just choosing the sacrifice that we want to make. But um, like making making the right sacrifices, we can actually like grow from and get stronger. And there's like that's that's a message of like responsibility. And um, I don't know, like I'm, I'm I'm not sure about your your exposure to some of the um, philosophical lectures of Canadian psychologist Dr. Jordan Peterson, but he's yeah I'm aware of him. Yeah, it, it's been a huge inspiration um, for for me and. Just that, you know, like do what's right, listen um, to like what's inside, speak the truth so that you can keep your conscience like oriented towards the good and trust that if you are doing those two things that whatever happens, happens for the best and that there is no, um, there is no way to avoid suffering, but you will suffer either way, but you get to choose the way in which you suffer. Mm. So like, I don't know, that's, that just seems to... I, I like that message. I, I got caught up in the um, this um, false um, positivity movement for, for quite some time. <laughs> Tell me about that. I, I, what do you mean by that? Oh, so um, there's, I don't know, there, there's this like positive thinking misconception, um, you know, of, of the value of, um, I don't know, positively future casting or always um, trying to see the bright side of things. Now there is value to that, to that um, conceptual like mental acrobatics. That's great, but it, if one can easily um, lose themselves into kind of trying to like brainwash ourselves into this like positive, rosy view of the world, 
And I think that that contributes to us being more brittle and naive and less able to actually handle challenges um, compared to seeing, uh, compared to expecting that there's going to be continual challenges and that like pain is, you know, is, is where it's like a sensation of growth. I'm talking about like emotional pain here. Um, so right. I just, I, I know personally from getting in, involved in kind of like um, the new age sort of realm that I kind of got lost in this, always trying to see things positively. But I, I've, it was a, it, it got out of balance. There, there's, there's a way of virtuously seeing the world through a positive lens while at the same time recognizing the, um, you know, like the challenges and being grounded in like reality. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I'm with you on that. Actually, you know, it's. I think we've, on some level, we, you know, there's lots of information. Well, we're thinking more and more about how we exist in life and happiness and vulnerability and mm-hmm. trust, and uh, you know how just different mechanisms that maybe humans have not thought about as much in the past because we have more time than ever. We're more, yes. you know, we have more information than ever. So it's, uh, we're thinking, which is good, we're thinking, but, you know, I've said this many times before, I'll I'll be consistent over all of my podcast interviews, that happiness is not a pill, you don't take it, and you just feel great all the time. There's, life is challenging, and one of my clients is a clinical psychologist, and she always, she's very, her research is in, like, meaningfulness and honesty and self-deception. Oh, it's great stuff. Um, We have the best training sessions, they're amazing. (laughs) And she's like, life is hard. It's not easy. You need to accept that, that it's, that it's going to be difficult uh, quite a bit. But there will also be wonderful times as well. But she also talks a lot about the concept of if you're not willing to do the work in your life to make things better for yourself and challenge yourself and to you know, provide real behavior change, then you should be accepting where you're currently at, just accept it. And don't just speak about it. And if you're not gonna make any movement towards being better, then just accept where you're at. And it can be very harsh to hear mm-hmm. from someone. Oh yeah, yeah, especially somebody that's a clinical psychologist, you know, so that's uh, from a, the authoritative perspective. But that, that's, um, gosh dang, that, that, is a, that is a message that is, really needed right now and it's being put out and it's being like responded to pretty positively but like i'm i'm seeing a a lot of this victimhood perspective and this wanting of the whole world to change in order to to facilitate the change of how somebody feels rather than the taking ownership of one's own um, abilities and changing the way that they act and think and behave so that they have a better experience. I don't know if 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 you're noticing that as well, um, or if this is just like a strange new concept that I'm just throwing <laughs> at you. No, no, I I just I just think like, well, for instance, like Brene Brown being on Netflix and having her own special and talking about that, I thought was a was an interesting let's say nexus point for. Uh, how we behave because you know normally stuff like that's not getting on TV or Netflix or Hulu you know it's it's in the scientific community behind 
closed doors, some guy in a laboratory or in an office. And I think there's a social consciousness of people at least being aware of like, how am I behaving? And but the, the difference is though, there's there's many people throughout the course of history who have been very aware of their behavior and still haven't done anything about it. And my thing is what will people actually do about it? And so it's a I think it's multifaceted. There's a lot that goes into it. It's not a simple process. But I do think that we're being inundated more with behavior change. How do we change our behavior? Like, really, how do we do it? And let's have open discussions about uh, topics that maybe were considered taboo to discuss in the past. So I think there is some more awareness, at least. The change actual part, mm -hmm. I'm not so sure about that at this point. Hmm. I'm, I'm pretty, opti pretty optimistic and, and hopeful about that. Like, um, I, I love that there are these deep intellectual lectures that are selling out like theaters from yes like, uh, yeah so like, you know, like Jordan Peterson Sam Harris um, are the, the first two that spring to mind right. um, you know Brene Brown being another one of those um, and yeah so like I love that that's that's exploding and that that's growing um, and that that we have the science of human flourishing of like positive psychology and right. Like, so that is wonderful. <laughs> I think it's great. I, I think it's great. And I think, but I, I like to see people actually change. Like I've, I've, I haven't lived a tremendously long time, but in my 41 years on the earth, it's very rare for me to, somebody, to see somebody make a complete change, like really a super behavioral change. And like they were just a mess. And then they were like, I didn't recognize them. Like it's, I would hope that in the future that changes, but I think that's a case by case basis. I think mm -hmm. like, like I watch a show like the Brene Brown Netflix special. I listen to podcasts that have very intelligent people like your Jordan Petersons, your Sam Harris, and you know different uh, theoretical physicists and things of that nature. Mm. I go, man, this speaks to me. Like this is mm -hmm. pretty good stuff, you know. Um, but I, I'm not sure how many people are actually changing from it. I don't know. I mean, I want to be optimistic about it. I just, Ooh, yeah. I'm not sure. I would hope that the inundation of all this information does that. I just, I would love to see some information about it because, you know, one thing I do know, there's a lot of that on the loneliness of people, mm -hmm. of the depression related to people. But maybe we're at a point where that stuff is so bad for people that this stuff's coming at the right time to cause a change. For you know, I, I, and that, I, I, that's my optimism for that. But uh, I'm just not so sure <laughs> completely, but I uh, am optimistic for sure. I, I don't want to, I don't mean to be so kind of like, you know, negative on it. I just, um, change is hard for people because just hearing about it on a show is one thing. The actual doing it part is the hardest part. It's incredibly hard, incredibly challenging. Incredibly difficult. Yes, it takes so much willpower um, and then planning, um, consistency, social support, um, desire. You know, we got to have a strong enough reason to do so because it's, it's, venturing, in, it's venturing into chaos. You know, it's yes. the devil you don't know is way scarier than the devil you do. Um, but as, as far as like wanting to see see like change and becoming a different person um i think that i'm an example of that of going from like 
emotionally cut off, extremely mm-hmm. angry, floating, nihilistic person um, to, to where I'm at now and being like in this, this coaching domain and wellness and being a lot more uh, like emotionally articulate and um, having more of a sense of, of spirituality to use the overly used imprecise term, <laughs> but the best one that I have right now, at least in this language, um, and then I could tell you that the, this coaching program that I'm part of, it's there's there's 999 other coaches right now in this 10-month applied intensive training that is taking these works from these um, positive psych, from this field of positive psychology and um, a lot of like Stoic philosophy and applying it to our own lives and then learning how we can um, share that with other people. So like that gives me huge. Um, hope and inspiration um, as far as like as far as where we're going and then um, reportedly Kristen Neff and some of one of her research um, students is part of the program and the idea is to collect data and make this a um, evidence-based data supported um, lifestyle change system so I'm I'm pretty hopeful um, where that where that's going Um, when when you were talking about like you wanted to to like see that transformation, see that change, like that's something that I'm interested in in sharing. You know, that's that like sharing of one yeah. story. But um, I don't know. It's uh, it's still figuring out like how and the mode of which which to do so. Just because right. I, right. I I find value in hearing and seeing other people's progress. I love that. I whether it's like a physical training progress or it's like psychological lifestyle change progress, you know, like from being somebody who drank and smoked heavily and did a whole bunch of other stuff um, to like being a much more virtuous centered person now, like, I don't know, like those sort of stories like inspire me. I'd be interested in figuring out a way to, to share that. But then there's like the obstacle of, how do you share without being like, hey, look at me, look at me, look at me? You know, <laughs> that annoying, gross. <laughs> we struggle with the same thing. Ugh. Yeah. It's a huge, you know, I'm sure there may be people on here who listen and go, guys, it's not that hard. Just do it. And it's okay to share a bunch of stuff. But I think you got to be true to yourself. And I think we share that common thing like, I, I don't want it to like push push my like oh it's about me it's about me it's about me you know like I I love I'm like you want to I want to see other people flourish and I I'm excited to see it uh, it's just difficult when you're living in like in a society or in a social media sphere where it says you know you need to post every day you need to be relevant you need to have this SEO and People yeah. Need to find this and that, and that, which is like, I'm so heavily against it. You're like, like I'm like, who cares? But then business says, oh, you have to have this. Don't you want to be found on the internet? What if you don't want to be found on the internet? You know, what if you? Yes, I have a website for my company, and it's good. I want people to look at it, but it's it's this weird dichotomy between advertising what you do. Hey, this is what my business is about. Here's who I am as a person without it being so self-centered related to. Yes. Yeah. That's to me. I'm sorry, Instagram people who love it. It just feels like that's all it's about. 
is this self-centeredness. Look at the vacation I went on. Look what I ate for dinner. Look, look at these workouts that I've done. Look how strong I am. Like it's, I'm heavily against that. I just, it's hard for me, you know? <laughs> mm. It'd be, be cool if any of the listeners know of some um, virtuous uses of Instagram. Like maybe there are some like amazing accounts that we're just not aware of that touch more to like what we're speaking of. It'd be really cool to see something like that. But that's, it's interesting that, that, you being uh, involved in online um, social media slash networking for like these past 10 years, that you still have that same um, internal conflict. <laughs> so, <laughs> it okay. hasn't changed much, man. You know, That's... it's like, in many ways, I think it's gotten worse because it has been the, the volume of it, the, the amount of it being pushed or the amount of it that just, it's, it's almost just like it's coming out. Even if you're like, well, I'm not on there. If you watch, let's say you watch, like I'm a big sports guy. I love watching like NBA basketball and, and I love watching football and stuff. They put tweets up on the screen and stuff. They put so they put Instagram accounts up there and like, oh, this this player said this about this. I'm like, I can't escape it here either. I mean, it's like, <laughs> like why do I care what an athlete said about a certain topic or this and that? Why do I care about this Twitter war? Somebody had? like I don't, you know. And like, if I have something very deep to say about something. Like I, my first thought would never be, you know what? I need to put that online first. I'm so like, feel so strongly about this, about this, what happened during this NBA finals game that I need to put some really damning thing out on the internet. I never think about that. <laughs> but then I see other like athletes and stuff, like the first thing, like something happens, then they have to tweet about it. Why do you have to tweet about it? Can't you just keep it to yourself? <laughs> no no the answer is no right you have to be seen you have to be yeah. heard yeah and that's what i struggle with like i don't always want to be seen and heard my podcast is not about me being seen and heard it's about other people being seen and heard but the great the ironic nature is like i have to use the the thing that i don't like kind of for it <laughs> you know mm -hmm. it's strange actually mm. And in 10 years, it hasn't gotten better for me. I think I've dug in even more. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, it, it's, yeah. it's helpful for me to have that, that expectation that this internal conflict about using this stuff is likely not to go away. So just, you know, I don't think it's okay going with away. It. <laughs> just... Justin, you know, I've, you know, I talk to a lot of people. I've talked to tons and tons. This is not an exaggeration. I probably in a year speak to six seven hundred people on the phone every year oh, wow and that's a lot of people over that 10, is a lot of years right and almost all those people that i talk to they're sick of social media they're exhausted by it they're literally exhausted by it but they're feeling the same way you're feeling i'm telling you they're just hiding it better it's helpful and to hear they want to get off of it but they don't know how they can without their business not dying yep. or not feeling like how do they get business. So they feel yep. compelled, like, like they are pushed to have to do. I just, my last interview was like, she goes, I actually think we're at the, we're at, we're at the tail end of it. I go, really? You think we're at the tail end of social media and all this stuff? She goes, yeah, I, I think the fatigue is real. And I think it's going to be over within the next couple, next three to five years. I really believe it's going to be over. I said, wow, I, I'm just, that would make me feel really good <laughs> on some level, but 
I'm not so sure about that. She's convinced that we're in the age of social media fatigue and we're running, it's jumping the shark. And, you know, and the things that will last, which I think would be the things that are very, uh, get back to talking to each other. And that's why I think we're in a time where podcasts have become so important because they're, they're centering on a, maybe not a loss, but almost a, a thing that we've always done well, which is talk to each other. We pass history to each other. We tell each other how we feel. We have conversations. We have conflict. We mm -hmm. speak. And that is not conveyed well in a message to somebody. For sure. Always conveyed well, either through talking on the phone or through in person with somebody. And I think those mediums will, will survive this. The ones that are just about messaging will not survive in the future, in my opinion. I, I, could, I, could, see, um, I could see that as a, as a possibility. And the, the long-form conversations that, that you're just talking about, I, I uh, agree in the, the value that is like, ascertained with them. I mean, that's, like, I used to be really big into Joe Rogan's podcast. Just, yeah, I did too. <laughs> yeah, long-form conversations where you can actually kind of get to know somebody, mm -hmm. right, like, by listening to it, like that. And it was, it was like, it was filling a hole that, that I had, I guess, like, just even in my own life where like, I didn't have two hour conversations with my friend. <laughs> right. But I was like, I love that. It's like, I want to do this. I want to just have, you know, these long, interesting conversations with people. So I would, um, I would vicariously, you know, like have that through the Joe Rogan experience at my leisure, which was, um, very nice. So, which is the point of like what I'm doing is, yeah is to help people have those conversations with each other and with people they don't know about. You don't have to be Joe Rogan to have that happen. You can <laughs> use the power of the internet, which has tremendous power, and you could use it for good. And you could use it to have regular conversations. Why well, I sent you, I was like, I'm gonna send you like nine, 10 people to talk to. Mm. So you can have that experience. And, and my thing was like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hyperactivate this with people. So because they're, they're often like, where do I turn? How do I start talking to people? I'm like, I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna give you like 10 people to talk to. And it's gonna start the engine. Of oh yeah. You how to just talk to people and just get on the phone. And it's like this podcast is funny. You know how many people ask me, can I get questions ahead of time that you'll be asking? I'm like, no. <laughs> it's not that I'm type like, of show. <laughs> real conversation, you don't get the questions ahead of time. You meet yeah. somebody, you, go back and forth about you you hear something that piques your interest tell me more about that when you hear about it you know it's it's free form conversation and the last one i did earlier today is like this was way better than you giving me questions because like we were talking about stuff i did not intend to talk about on here i'm like that's what makes a show good too by the way <laughs> well you got any got any like curveballs you want to throw out there <laughs> <laughs> I have lots of curveballs that I throw out about myself all the time on the podcast. You listen, you'll hear a bunch of stuff you never knew about me. Um, but I think it's, um, for me, I like, the, I like hearing about the struggle with people because I think the struggle is too many people don't talk about the difficult times that they're dealing with. Like they, they think these secrets they have are going to destroy their credibility with other people. I don't agree with that. I think talking about your terrible times in front of a lot of people, it takes a lot of courage and it's freeing. 
to do that. I mean, I, I, I just thought on my last interview, I just told a fitness professional who I interviewed for a job like six or seven years ago, who probably looked at me being the national director of fitness of a company, mm-hmm. never thought that I would tell them that I have done mushrooms recently. They probably never would think that about me mm. or that I smoke weed about once a month. I live in Washington State. It's, it's uh, legal. It's not a huge thing that I like to do, but I do like to do it sometimes. Yeah. And you know what? I don't care if somebody thinks differently about me from that. It's just me. And it doesn't make me different. I'm responsible. I've been very successful. It's just different things I research. I try. I want to experiment. I'm not doing crazy stuff. Like, now, some people may think mushrooms, that's crazy. But that's an uninformed person. They don't actually know mm-hmm. the research behind it, the whole thing. And, and I did, like you talked about the Joe Rogan thing. I don't listen to it as much anymore. But one of the things I really enjoyed listening to is because they were okay with talking about stuff like that. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I do that. And, and they don't care either. They're just talking about it. And I said, it's the big deal. <laughs> you know, I mean. Well, well yeah, the, the, so I, I love that you brought that up because that, that is daring greatly. And that is, I mean, so I live in Portland, Oregon, and the stuff's legal. But still, there's, you know, there, I don't know, there feels like there's a wall there. Um, so I'll, I'll share as well that um, mushrooms have been one of the most profound, life changing experiences that I've ever had in my life. Um, bam. And, bam, man. And that, that is just, it can, it helped me turn from like this terrible person into just like focusing on, it was a catalyst for me trying to be a better person and to be kinder and more loving and to intentionally cultivate those aspects in my life um, and help me see all the, the pain that I was um, rippling through society by just being angry and disgruntled. Yeah. So that was huge. And then when it comes to when it comes to cannabis, like I regularly microdose with that for like it's like that and exercise are my number my number one medicines um, for psychological health and well-being. Um, yes. I I find that if I don't, that I am much more likely to go into a state of depression, um, uh-huh. like pretty pretty quickly. You know, right. like I do I. I exercise at least like two hours a day um, and then like the regular little bits of cannabis just uh, yeah uh, yeah so I if I had tried joining the military um, in like last year and so I was like well I'm gonna I'm gonna quit cannabis so that I can I can go into that I ended up drinking a lot more got suicidal um, and right. got you know stopped drinking and got back on cannabis and I was like that's that's not a good that's not a good way of being right. uh, so it's I, I really like that you in your successful position um, just said that, that that you just brought that up because that we got to stop we got to stop stigmatizing people who do things like that like they're losers or that yeah. they're they're not successful I know so many people I will not say who they are that that smoke weed or microdose or do edibles whatever mm-hmm. and or have i don't know a lot of people have done mushrooms honestly i mean i took a big leap on that one when i was starting it but you know but i i know i've changed a lot of people's minds about it over the years because they saw me and my track record and my resume and they said he does that mm-hmm. and i said yeah and i said you know what it takes people who are not 
just sitting around playing video games and eating Cheetos all day. That's what they think. They think you're worthless. You don't do anything. Or you take hardcore drugs. You did psilocybin. I'm like, again, that's just uninformed people. Mm -hmm. The stigma that they've gotten from somebody, the sheep mentality about it. And I refuse to let people typecast me because of that. I remember when I told my wife I was going to do mushrooms, she was very worried for me. And she didn't want me to do it. And I said, Mm. you know what? I've researched it. I've Mm -hmm. spent a lot of time listening about it, understanding the effects of it. And John Hopkins, you know, I'm sure you're aware of the John Hopkins studies and all the things they're doing now with breaking addiction. I said the non-lethal component of it. I said, this is a better drug than alcohol. Oh, Jesus. I said, this this changes people's lives for like a year and a half after they do it. Like they're happier. And I've never been somebody who wasn't really like a B person. I've always kind of been like that. But as soon as I did it, it changed the very fabric of my being completely. Oh, that. Yeah. I just and I think everybody who has done it and they've done it in a way that's really cool, like you're out in nature and stuff like that or whatever, has this transformative experience that never leaves them. It's like your life before doing it and your life after doing it. Completely. Completely, right? You get it. Yeah, I completely get it. I wanted to use this podcast as a way to just be brutally honest about those type of things. I'm not a loser. You're not a loser. We're not slackers. You know, we're not the commercial where some of your brain on drugs, you know, we're not talking about like heroin here and, you know, cocaine, none of that garbage. We're talking about like stuff that's actually good for you. I think it's in, you know, like the (laughs) non-lethality of it, the the medical nature of it. It's not a joke. In five, in 10 years, it's going to be everywhere. And your people will remember this. Less than that. So there's, you know, are you familiar with the um, nonprofit organization MAPS? Yes, I am. All right. All right. So for those that are not, it's the uh, Multidisciplinary Association for the Advancement of Psychedelic Science. And they're one of the um, leading organizations that have been spearheading um, clinical trials of MDMA for uh, treatment-resistant post-traumatic stress disorder. They're, I think they're also involved in um, like the, some of the, the psilocybin research, or at least in promoting the research that's being done right. by John Hopkins and, and some, I think that there might I want to say maybe Berkeley's doing something, yes. but um, so I've I've heard recently that Denver has decriminalized psilocybin. Yes, and that yes. Oakland, California, as well. But oh man! So Maps is trying their their ambition is to have psychedelic treatment centers with trained psychedelic therapists where people can go and have these experiences and then help. Um, they're going to get um, professional help in integrating it afterwards because. So you can you can have this profound experience, you can have these recognitions and these new understandings, but if you if we don't take immediate action um, of how to integrate that new understanding, which feels so real, which feels oh, like, like you're not going to be able to see things any differently <laughs> ever, but it is fleeting. Um, so we we have to figure out a way to weave that into ourselves if we want to sustain that and not slip back into old habits. And so there. Yes. Are, their their ambition is to have it covered by insurance, and it's a great organization to support. Like I said they're they're a nonprofit. Um, the the head guy I forget his name. He's been on um, Joe Rogan's podcast a few different times. Definitely worth worth a check out. And then one more thing that got stimulated by by your um, recent conversation there, um, as far as work ethic goes, 
I am more productive after I've had cannabis. I am yep. more likely to want to clean my house, to make life plans, to yep. um, just like work on behavior change, to call some friends, to um, work on my resume. Like if it's when it's when I don't that I feel more lazy um, and just kind of slothish. But uh, just a, a little bit goes a long way as it far does. as productivity is concerned. So, um, yeah. I, know, I think I just, we're just seeing a change. See, that's an area I'm seeing a huge change. And the, the consciousness of it, I think another thing, a good read if you haven't read it, is How to Change Your Mind by Michael Pollan. And, yeah. you know, he is the author of, you know, a lot of like, like food-based books. Yeah. Um, Omnivore's Dilemma, I believe. Stuff. My wife loves those books. And uh, when he came out with the book, I was like, Michael Pollan is doing psychedelics? Like, and that, it, that was another thing that hit me. I was like, again, a very reputable person mm-hmm. who has researched the hell out of it and came to the conclusion, like, this is seriously life-altering in a good way type of thing. You know, I mean, you, you see so many things when, you're, when you have it, but it's, it's, it's just like more confirmation that, you know, these are important things and you should be willing to open your mind and to change your mind about these things and i think that um we're in a great we're in a great stage of living where i think we're having these almost great philosophical conversations regularly with each other and we're willing to expand our mind and i think in fitness and wellness there's a place for psychedelics and for cannabis and so you'll be thinking the episode after yours is with um my good buddy emma petrack and she is a fitness professional who moved into the cannabis world full time. And uh, her interviews tomorrow I'm doing. And I'm, we're going to it's basically my first interview. It's all about cannabis. It's going to be amazing. Oh, cool, man. <laughs> it's going to be incredible. And she oh. owns a cannabis company. She has cannabis beer. I think the world's first like cannabis beer type of thing. She put it's two roots brewing. And uh, I'm so proud of her. And we're going we're gonna to put it out to the world. We're going to let people know. Smart people do this stuff. It's not losers and stoners. You know? I would love to see um, a, a cannabis gym, sort of like a, a combination of like a, a cannabis lounge with some sort of like creative art space and then yes. a place for like gymnastics and such. Um, uh, like a, of, of course, it would work. I don't know. It would, there would, some people can handle it better than that. Yeah. But um, I, I know I, I love to, to move and to work out and to, to train with like a little bit. So that would be, that would be really cool to, to have those sort of things combined. I think it's coming. And, you know, there was a recent uh, study or survey, I think, out of Colorado, surprise, um, that 80% of the people in the, in the survey, they, they take, they, you know, ingest cannabis or whatever before and after their workout. And it's, they feel it makes the workout better. I actually haven't done it yet. I, I do want to do that. Because um, I don't know what your experience, you said it's been great, right? When you do it? Oh, yeah. Um, increased body awareness and energy is like, is the main things with it. So just being able to, to feel what I'm doing a lot more. Um, if I'm going to, especially man especially in like endurance type activities like if i'm going to do an extremely long hike or a long cycling ride uh-huh. it is a great ergogenic aid uh, wow. yeah so. i'm gonna have to do that and i'm gonna have to 
I'm gonna have to have you back on, and I have to talk about it with you. <laughs> and we're gonna that. have to discuss it, man. Because these are, you know, it's funny. I, I know Joe Rogan talks a lot about these things and all that, but you know, I think my network is full of people who nobody knows about. <laughs> Generally, so these aren't like your world-leading theorists and stuff like that. But I want to give light to people who are doing amazing things that maybe they're just not getting the shine put on put on them. And people like yourself, Justin, who are good, honest people, you know, like I love interviewing people who are just getting into the business or trying to find work or they're, mm-hmm. they're struggling with some type of thing. Because I think in many ways, that's more beneficial to hear about that than somebody who's like, you know, the most famous person in the world on a show or, you know, Elon Musk is on a show. I mean, I like Elon Musk stuff, but I, you know. It's super popular. I want to give voice to people who don't have access all the time to all this stuff, you know? Yeah, so it kind of adds lens to that, that shared humanity sort of yeah. thing. The, 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 the struggle is common. Um, common. Yeah. Yes. I like it's that. very common. So I think that be ready for some interesting interviews with people. Like I said, this one tomorrow with Emma, I think it's going to open a lot of people's eyes about the benefits of cannabis and fitness and you know and cbd and the whole thing and and i hope to you know be getting into you know hopefully like some fledgling researchers who are maybe not you know that are not like your jordan peterson again i like those people it's good but maybe somebody who's hungry in the beginning of their research you know nobody knows about them but they're they can't get on other shows because sometimes it's hard to get on podcasts because if you start getting really big people you know only want certain really big time people on it. I want no part of that. I want very new, broken in or just underground people. I would love to to connect with somebody who's a researcher that isn't well known but is doing some cutting edge stuff, you know, and I'm sure that that's a, a quite a large population. It's got to uh, be. Yeah, that's there. Well, if you run into anybody, let me know, obviously. We'll so, do. Because yeah. these are it's what makes it interesting, you know, and and I tell you today, I guarantee you these the sharing, these admissions of uh, different things that we're doing, it's going to help somebody. They're going to go, wow, I can't believe they're doing that. Maybe I should consider that. Yeah, maybe you should. <laughs> that's, well, yeah, that's what um, my interactions with you have, have helped. That's kind of shown me some things that were possible that I just I didn't see myself doing before. So it's really that cool. Wonderful. I it. And I, I saw that your podcast is also available on Spotify. So nice, you're nice using multi-platforms with that. That'll, that'll, be, that'll be my listening um, platform for your show. Oh, that's so. awesome. You know, what's funny, I, I was thinking about doing a podcast, doing one, and I really waited it out because I wanted to do it for a while. And then I was on somebody else's podcast, and they did it through Anchor. And I was like, what is Anchor? And uh, I went on it, and I checked it out. I said, oh, this is pretty cool because you can record from there if you want. But basically when you submit your podcast on anchor when you create it it automatically puts it out to like as many podcasts exist on the internet it just oh i didn't have to do anything it went on the spotify automatically it went on the google automatically because they do that work for you they do it for you that's good to know Amazing. <laughs> so it's like a it's like a cliff notes it's like a podcast with dummies they make it so simple that it's almost impossible to screw it up when you do it and uh, Spotify owns Anchor, so which is pretty cool. Oh, also. yeah. All right. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna use that. Um, and 
yeah, I'm going to use that because I've, like I said, I've, I've got some um, conversation calls lined up with some of these, my fellow optimized coaches, and cool. I'm really excited to use the inspiration from, from you and, you know, take our social media platform into like a, a, a human-based conversation platform. So yeah. awesome, yeah. man. Yeah, it's, it's great. And you know what, what I found you talked about sharing is that the wonderful thing about it is when we put out the podcast, like when your episode comes out, you know, I, I only share it on LinkedIn. I don't do anything else because that's what I do. And and then Spotify, I mean, then Anchor shares it on Stitcher, on on uh, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, you know, Spotify, everywhere you can think of, uh, Breaker. And then the people who are on the show with me doing the conversing like yourself, then you get to share something to your network. And so we're just in the sharing circle with each other that feels meaningful when we're doing it. And then that creates the audience for it. Oh, nice. All right, Anchor, I'm checking it out. And guess, you know what? Uh, you spoke to Lauren Rothfeld, I think, right? I did, yeah, one of your Lauren's recent amazing. podcast guests. Man, Lauren blew her podcast appearance out the water. It is, it is easily the, because uh, they give you all these metrics, it is easily the most listened to podcast that I've done. So by like 10 times, like what? her, her appearance was like lightning in a bottle. Wow. And you know, what the funny <laughs> thing is she is the least well-known of all the people I have I've talked to, you know, just getting into the business, former basketball player at a D3 university. And she came on guns blazing and it's <laughs> easily my most popular, easily my most popular podcast. So much so that I'm going to have her back several times because she's just an easy conversation. She's easy to talk to. Mm-hmm. She's super honest. Yeah. And she just, and she was like, all like, oh my God, I'm on your podcast. I'm like, I'm not famous. It's no big deal. It's just <laughs> people talking, you know? And she, she felt so honored to be on it. But it's like people like that, I want on the show. I want newbies. I want people just born on the internet kind of thing. Like, well, hey, you got or it. Struggling, struggling with the internet. I love these conversations about struggling with the internet. Perfect. Oh, oh, so, perfect. Um, I, so I thank you for being on the show, Justin. And uh, my honor. Sir. I'm excited to share it with everybody. See, this is a good share. This is exciting. This is. Yeah, we got we got vulnerable, Darian. We got really vulnerable. <laughs> we shared some very epic things. And uh, I would never regret anything I shared. And I won't regret anything I share in the future because it's just me. It's just who I am. I love yeah. it. And hopefully this, uh, this stimulates some more good conversations for both of us. I know it will. And knowing you, it will definitely stimulate some more conversation <laughs> uh, for that. You, you got to listen. Your intro for the show was pretty yeah. funny. Uh, okay. I recorded. Yeah. Because it's basically like, you know, how do you, like, how do you describe Justin? Like, you know, this is going to be different, know. man. This is going to be a different one for you guys, you know? <laughs> like, I had such a hard time coming up with, like, a description to send you. Um, I was, there's just, like, too much going on in my life. I'm like, how do I? <laughs> <laughs> I saw your thing. I was like, okay, this is, like, easily the shortest bio I've received because <laughs> most of them I received are, like, like, a full page. And I'm like, man, I'm not reading all this. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I'll just say a few things and then we'll we'll chat about it on the show, you know, type of thing. Yours yeah. was like, boom, done, you know. <laughs> Excellent. I like it. Laconic. 
All yes. right. Yes. Thanks for your time, Justin. And uh, okay. we'll be talking another time for sure, man. All right, man. You're amazing. Thanks for, Thank you. thanks for all your time. You got it, man. Later. Bye.